This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, it's Monday. It's time for the Eric Francis Show. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the hockey over the weekend. Eight overtime games so far in the playoffs. Not sure we've ever seen so much parity. Tight games. I know officiating is the the big talking point. I can't stand that. Can't stand that we're talking about it, but we will delve into that a little bit today. We have two great guests, Rich Winner, agent for Andrew Majapani, Mark Giordano, a whole bunch of other guys around the league. Uh, has uh, represented some big, big hitters over the years for a lot of years. And I always appreciate his insights on the business of sport, uh, the current situation in Calgary we're going to talk about. And then afterwards, half at the halfway mark of the show, we're going to talk to Mike Fuda. Uh, definitely, in my opinion, a uh, candidate to be an assistant GM of the Flames. I'm not sure. We're not going to get into that. Uh, puts him in an uncomfortable spot. I'm not going to throw that at him. But we are going to talk about a number of, of issues around the league with Mike Fuda. He's a great story teller as well. Uh, before we get into Rich, I just want to uh, throw out there. The silence, to me, is very profound from the Calgary Flames over the last week. We've heard nothing from the Calgary Flames over the last week. And I'm not. that's not a criticism at all. I actually think that's a very good thing. We knew that it was going to take some time to get a new general manager. Don Maloney would not put timelines on it, nor should he. Obviously, time is of the essence. You'd like to have a guy in there yesterday. But these things take time, and you need to get this right. It is so important. This organization is at such a crossroads that this is one of the most important hires they'll ever make. And the fact that Monday's press conference with John Bean and Don Maloney was not followed up a day or two or three later with a press conference from Daryl Sutter, to me, is very encouraging. I say that because we all expected that on Monday, after Don Maloney had said, the coach is being reviewed like everybody else, we thought that was just lip service. The guy's got two more years on his contract. The extension kicks in this year. Four million plus a year. Surely, with Brad Tree leaving, leaving, the assumption was, well, this organization's clearly essentially picked its horse in the race and they're going with Sutter and that's not really being reviewed. Well, the fact that Sutter hasn't spoken since tells me that they're either seriously reviewing the possibility of not bringing him back and or at the very least, they're making it look like it. And I'm okay with both because I do think that it's important for whoever you hire next as your general manager needs to have a say in who your head coach is going to be. Look, what if this new general manager comes in and says, I think the only way forward is a complete rebuild. Well, he might not get the job if he says that to Murray Edwards, but if he did say that a rebuild is very close, I think we all know that Daryl Sutter's not interested in a rebuild, nor is he the right guy for a rebuild. So I think waiting for the GM to have input on the coach is important. And uh, and so the fact that we haven't from Sutter, and I don't think we're going to hear from him anytime soon, I think is very, very good news. And again, I'm not saying that this, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that they definitely need to get rid of Sutter. I'm saying that the new general manager needs to look at some of the things that were said in the exit interviews. I've just posted a, uh, a column, actually it'll be posted in about an hour uh, about this whole situation. And I have sources that have confirmed that, you know, several players, you know, unloaded on the situation in their exit interviews. And that can't be ignored, nor do I think it's being ignored by ownership or by Don Maloney uh, as they move forward. All right, let's get to Rich Winner. 
Uh, he is an agent of the stars. Uh, I've known him for a long time. Always enjoy my talks with him. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. How are you, Rich? Pretty good, Eric. Thanks for uh, having me. I, I, I first want to start with, let me get your thoughts. I think you're from Calgary originally, and you see what's happening here in Calgary from two and a half hours away. What is your take on the situation facing the Calgary Flames right now? Well, I actually grew up in Drumheller, so we've got to probably eliminate some of the dinosaur bones, I suppose. But ultimately, I think Calgary's <laughs> as challenged as every other NHL city in the sense that it's very hard to attract players here. I think they have nine free agents coming up next year. It's going to be a very difficult, they're going to have a very difficult time as they did with uh, Johnny and uh, Matthew in terms of keeping those guys. I mean, they're at a real inflection point where all, they're not alone. And, they have to have a compelling reason to attract players to either come here or stay here. Ken Holland told me the other day when we had coffee that uh, he didn't know how he would attract a player to Edmonton as a golfer. He has looking forward to maybe golfing mid May or late May. Yeah. And the weather was terrible when we were sitting at Tim Hortons across from the rink. And uh, he says, without the two big guys, we don't have a chance. We just don't have a chance. And it's not only allowed him to build a team, but it's allowed him to get players like Zach Hyman, at a considerable discount. It's been able to get uh, Evander Kane at a considerable discount. It's been, he's been able to get a lot of players to buy into the fact that, you know, there's an, ex, there's an excitement uh, to surrounding the opportunity to play with maybe two of the best forwards in the game. Calgary doesn't have that. They don't have an arena. We've got horrible weather. Uh, I love my city. I'm proud of it, but uh, there are greener pastures if you're an NHL player. There's no doubt about it that there are significant challenges facing Canadian teams and small market teams in general, but Canada, Canadian teams, uh, the small market Canadian teams. Now, do you think the league is doing anything or should be doing anything to help level that playing field? Well, I think they've done it. They think they've done it in the salary cap, which is a good start, but uh you're comparing, I mean, number of the players went to visit Matthew Kachuk when they were down in Florida. And I got to think they're sitting in his backyard with a small little golf course. He's got, uh, you know, boats and, and uh, jet skis on the waterway. And they're looking at it, Florida, Calgary, Florida, Calgary. And it's, a, it's an easy, an easy um, decision for most of them if the team's otherwise uh, equal. But, um, you know, we're in a situation in Calgary where it's just very, very tough to get players to, to either come to, and I, now I, I grew, grew up in Drummeller, lived in Calgary, went to school there, now live in Edmonton, love both cities, you know, but I'm connected here by my five children and eight grandchildren. I'm not connected here by my employment alone, because believe me, if I didn't have that family connection, chances of me living here are very small too. Yeah, that's, uh, that's well put. Okay, take me back. Uh, so many things I want to get to with this, but take me back to Marion Hosa because that's a great story you tell about you, you represented him and the situation that he was facing and the decision he made was was significant and very off the beaten path. Take, take us back to that story because I think people would be interested to hear that. Well, first you have to understand Marion's currently the CEO of a company with 300 employees, uh, the largest food distributor in Slovakia. He's not your typical hockey player. He's, a, he's an executive. He's a very intelligent guy. He's exactly the kind of guy that you'd want on your hockey team that makes very discerning decisions, not financially oriented, but oriented and focused on things that are important to him. So we sat down initially in Atlanta 
when he was coming up to be a free agent, he realized the one hole in his resume as he had never won. He never played on a winning team. He never played with great players. So in that particular case, he made the decision to turn down a $7.5 million offer times five by the Pittsburgh Penguins to play with Sid because he and I did the analytics and didn't feel that if they signed him, they could keep uh, their Latang and others in place. And it probably wasn't the right place to win. It's now sad that he lost in the finals to Pittsburgh the following year, but it, his focus wasn't winning. He felt that if he played one year with Datsuk, Zetterberg, Chelios, Lidstrom, and others, he would fill the hole in his resume that he felt needed to be filled before he went on to be a key part of a championship team, which he did in Chicago. So initially, and Edmonton at that stage, um, were indicating a willingness to go to 90 or $100 million, and he turned them down to take 7.4 in Detroit. Wow. Because winning was that compelling to him. He turned down you know, somewhere between 85 and $90 million because winning was that important to him. Now, that's the kind of guy you want to attract, but you're not going to attract if he can't win. And Calgary's had a 50%, slightly better than 50% winning percentage, percentage over the last decade. So you're not going to attract that kind of player to come to Calgary or unless you have a compelling reason around winning. Now, completely different from that... After he had spent that year in Detroit, they had no salary cap room, so we knew it was a one-year deal. We explored a number of teams, and it really came down to Tampa and Chicago. Ken Holland gave us permission because of the agreement Marion's made to sign a one-year deal that he would let them talk to other teams right after the season was over. Kind of narrowed it down to Chicago. The analytics suggested that if Marion's statistics were to be added to that young core that they had, there's a high probability of them winning a cup which you can't really predict, but certainly a very high probability of them finishing in the top four. So he decided that was the best spot. We negotiated a deal with Ken's permission. And an hour and a half before free agency opened, Marion calls me and says, you think they'd mind if we just talked to Tampa a little bit more? And I <laughs> said, oh, first, Havlab just got traded. I mean, I'll ask him, boss, but like, they're, not gonna, they're not gonna allow that. Um, he said, well, I just the idea of being in that warm climate, you know, their team's not as good, I think, as, as Chicago so looks to be immediately. But the idea of no pressure, no fa- no media, comfortable environment, wearing shorts and flip-flops. So even at the last minute when he'd done three weeks of analytics and study on and decided Chicago was the best situation, it tells you how important lifestyle can be if the teams are reasonably competitive. So that's the environment in which the Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, and all every every other Canadian city competes in. And if you don't have a compelling research reason that can trump those things, you will not get a player unless you overpay. And you can't overpay in the salary cap. So unfortunately, Calgary, and I don't know what's going to happen in Edmonton. There's a lot of people that think when Dreisaitl um, and McDavid come up for unrestricted free agency, they're unlikely to stay here with the, the likes of Las Vegas and Chicago and uh, New York, New Jersey, and so many others coming. Probably, I don't know them well enough to know, but if you don't, you can't do it the way the dinosaurs did it. You've got to, you know, you've got to come up with innovative approaches that will say to somebody initially, you know, I think that will attract. I, I think that's that's the difference, and you know. Um, you know, we see it all the time with other franchises. The Green Bay Packers, although most of the winning occurred earlier in this last century, but they um, 
they've been the winningest franchise in the National Hockey League. Cleveland had no trouble attracting players because they had LeBron. So it's really pretty simple. Like Edmonton found the formula. You go back in time, uh, 18 or so years, and try and arrange for the McDavid family to populate and create a son that will be eligible <laughs> for you to select when you get the first overall pick at the draft. Now, if you can do that, um, you know, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And that's the problem with, you know, fall to the seller and, and try and rebuild that way because you have no guarantee that you're not going to get, you know, le- much lesser night lights than you're going to get. Now, this year is a pretty good year with Connor Bedard. So the likes of San Jose and Chicago are going to get a franchise player, it looks like. But um, I don't know. I just feel, I feel, you know, I have a lot of friends in Calgary. I have a daughter and son and three grandchildren that live in Calgary. They talk hockey all the time. My six-year-old's. And it's just, you know, is, is, is emphatic about his passion for the Flames. And they find it very despondent when they hear from me that the reality is, boys, um, they're not going to win for a decade or so if they win none at all. And, and, and that's not no different than I said that 12 years ago to the to Bob Stoffer up here in Edmonton. I didn't think the Oilers could win for 10 or 12 years. Oh, he laughed me off the radio. It's been about 10 or 12 years. It's a cap world. Things have to come together. And there has to be a bit of luck. You know, you got to get an Evander Kane. You've got to oh, sell yeah. a Zach Hyman on the value of playing a little bit less. Now, Zach, when Zach came here, he's our, one of our clients. He didn't come here for less money than the market would endure. He just played way better. So you need some luck. You need other some players to outperform what you would have expected. You get some on the cheap. I mean, Ken, you listen to Ken Hall and talk about the Evander Kane negotiations, and it's very simple. He just had $5 million. And you can, you know, you can get seven somewhere else, but if you want to play with the big guys, I got five. And they ended up settling yeah. at 5.25. But that's not something that exists in Calgary. And my fear as a fan would be of those nine guys that are free agents, you know, it's not inconceivable you could lose you know, most of them. Now what? Well, and that's... Yeah. We saw it in the press conferences, you know. I love to be back. I love the city. My family loves skiing. We didn't hear any of that. Nope. Nope. That's, uh, that was glaringly obvious, uh, when Lindholm and Backlund basically refused to even suggest that they would consider, uh, resigning here at this point in time. Okay. We're talking to rich winner agent, uh, and we're, uh, going to delve into a number of different things, but I'll, cause I want to circle back on, well, I'll, I'll go straight to it. Uh, when you look around the league, you'd have access to all sorts of different contracts, the no trade lists, you know, is Calgary, and I, I don't want to lump Edmonton in there, but Calgary, Vancouver, Winnipeg, are they on the majority of contracts? Like, what are you seeing in terms of potential players wanting, you know, not wanting to come here? Yeah, the most of them I've seen include, depending on the number of teams, it gets a little bit more challenging if you've only got a six-team yeah. no trade list. But if you end up with eight to ten, you'll – generally find every single Canadian city on it. And that's, that tells you everything you need to know. And I think it's unfortunate because this is what people don't understand, right? So, you know, we said in May, like, I love Edmonton. I have a house on the River Valley. It's, 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 it's really nice where we live. But players come in to Edmonton and Calgary after maybe a three-day uh, tour through Anaheim, San Jose, Vancouver. And they come here and they, they didn't dress that well. They took their light winter coat and not realizing that it was going to be minus 35 in Calgary or Edmonton. 
Then they drive down to the saddle dome and they see an old arena. Or in the old days, they used to drive in Edmonton. The, the, the ugliest drive in the world is uh, from the airport to the to Rexall Place. Uh, it's now better than it used to be. But so these guys, they get out of the the, um, the, the bus and it's minus 40. They were prepared for about zero. Now, all of a sudden, they're calling their wives and saying, honey, I can tell you, man, like there's no place I'm not playing here. So they don't get to see the beauty of what we see. I mean, Edmonton is a great place to live if you like to golf, the late hours, wonderful summers, no humidity, great place for family. Players don't see that. And you have to help them change their mindset uh, about a place like Calgary. There's lots of advantages of Calgary. You're 45 minutes with a new ring road from skiing. Your family's coming in to visit. There's lots of attraction. The city, the downtown core is very cosmopolitan, great restaurants. Um, it's a good place to live. That's not what they're seeing when they come in with a light jacket at minus 35. And they just make a commitment to ever come. Now, the other thing we forget, they're 25-year-old guys. So would you rather have jet skis parked out the back door? Would you rather live in Chicago? Would you like to be in Manhattan Beach where all the players live, where play for the Kings? It's just, you got to think like a 25-year-old kid who's, who's white. Now, this is the other thing that's Calgary, you know, and Calgary, Vancouver, L.A. can't do much about. It's the travel. So, you know, a player's pretty relaxed about this whole thing. He's on the road 40 days. He's going over to New Jersey and New York and seeing the big city and down to Chicago in a few days and then in L.A., his wife's at home with the two kids, and she's never seen this kind of cold. You don't think that has a factor? So we're, it's just it's sad. I, I don't think we uh, – I mean, Edmonton and Calgary have got done a very good job, or Edmonton and Toronto, because they drafted some pretty good players, and pretty good players were available. Now, they're in the mix, maybe, right, to compete for, you know, the Cup this year. I, I don't think they'll win it, but I hope they do for Geo's sake, but – Ultimately, that's because they drafted a couple of players. No one, in, I don't think, in hockey thinks Austin Matthews is staying in Toronto. Nope. He's going to Las Vegas. He's going back to Phoenix. He's going. What do we do about that? Well, that's what the Green Bays of the world, and that's what the Clevelands of the world, and that's what people in the old days, the Kansas City is of the world in baseball, have figured out. And I don't see it coming out of an old school hockey environment that you're going to have the kind of innovation that you're going to need here to have players wake up and say, Hey, did you see what they're doing in Calgary? I had my agent call and check that out. That looks really cool. And it's the really cool factor. You better find it's not going to be enough to build a new arena, although that will be nice. Um, but you've got to look at this as, you know, you're competing with 29 other cities and apparently even Columbus is nice. Columbus is nicer than Calgary. I can't figure that one out. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna delve into Columbus. This is the first time I went this year, Johnny. I blame Johnny for making me have to go to Columbus for the first time. Uh, it wasn't that bad, actually. But listen, it's not bad, but it's not. It's not outstanding. Well, no, yeah, yeah. You don't. It's not on anyone the top of anyone's list unless you run out of places to go, like Johnny. So here's the situation. It's all very doom and gloom as you just painted the picture there. And 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 I don't. There's no question in my mind. That's. A, that's the reality check that Calgarians are kind of understanding now uh, that the future is not, uh, th there are big, huge challenges in front of this organization. No question about it. You talk about doing it the old school way uh, is not going to cut it anymore. You need to be young, innovative, uh, flexible. What qualities does this team, should they be looking for in their new GM to help them along that new enlightened path? 
they got to find Theo Epstein or his equivalent. You've got to find a guy that's been trained as an MBA at a major American or Canadian university that brings to him a completely a refreshing look at this and can come up with those outlier-like ideas that people are going to say, no kidding, that actually might work. Tell me more about that. I've never been explained to me. And I think to some degree, agents have historically done extremely well when they moved into from you know, initially Burke and uh, Brian and uh, George McPhee and a number of others, because as an agent, you get to see what everybody else is doing. If you've been holed up at the Saddle Dome or any, you know, in any other franchise in the National Hockey, all you're seeing is what they do. You don't even know what you're competing against. So I think it's got to be somebody that has a broad knowledge of what the leading edge science is in all of sport worldwide. Is it a, is it Pep Guardiola from Manchester city? I doubt it, but you've got to find those kinds of guys that win everywhere they go. And because, you know, this people think, well, this is a different business. Yeah. Well, it really isn't a different business. It's, it's a business that's about being successful. It's about the bottom line. It's about winning. And if you bring the right, you need to bring the right people who built the right culture, a culture of winning. Um, and I don't know if it's going to come from when it's in hockey. There's very rarely an opportunity to hire someone like John Cooper, maybe up in the last, you look at Cooper's resume, he's won absolutely everywhere he's, he's coached. So you've got a pretty good sense that he's not likely to be that first-year coach casualty because of the consistency with which he succeeded. I'd be looking for someone that has consistently succeeded or has a team around him that has consistently succeeded at a level that's incomparable because that's what they need. Wow. I'm not sure uh, where you find that. Like my next question I would like to ask you, and I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot here, but if I said like, give me an example of three or four GMs in the league right now that you think are of that ilk that are, you know, or, or is it all just uh, to use your term, a bunch of dinosaurs who are, who are getting by because the, you know, the culture has been good in their organization or, it's, or they've drafted well, whatever the case may be. Are there guys who stand out as GMs to you right now that are particularly innovative in that regard? Yeah, and it's not young necessarily. It's innovative as the word. Fair. I mean, Don Maloney's press conference said he was looking for a young, innovative guy. Lou Lamarillo, at 79 years of age, might be the most innovative guy in the sport who's consistently won everywhere he's gone. Mm-hmm. Because when I sit down in Lou's office, if you saw the technology that exists in his office, and I won't share it because that would be unfair to Lou, but you look at it and go, this guy's 79 going on 29. <laughs> and some people continue to learn. Jimmy, Jimmy Patterson's a good example. Larry Edwards is a good example. Guys continue to be successful as they, 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 they get older. Um, and uh, it's like, it's looking for guys. Kyle Dubas, pretty innovative, you know, looking for things, hiring people. You know, I think one of the things that general managers don't do, and we see it with the recycling of those people in hockey. I'm the GM. I hired you as assistant GM. You become GM. I hire you as a scout. And they just continue to recycle all of these people. And successful organizations don't do that. They go looking for successful people, not people who failed in their last endeavor. And I think that's one of the things that's missing in hockey. Now, I've always said to people, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, as Confucius used to say, I'm in, I'm in the wrong group, man. And I think hockey people generally like to surround themselves 
with people they can control, people that aren't a threat to them. And that's exactly the wrong guy that you want. You want a guy that is going to bring in superstar minds from other sports, either because they're retired and they've got eight or nine rings in other sports. Who's coaching the coaches? I find the most bizarre thing in hockey. Like you bring in a young coach and like, Virtually every other organization in, in other businesses would bring in management training programs to help the young man understand how to build culture and, and, and do things differently and maybe expose him to a whole bunch of other different ideas so we can train and develop him so he doesn't become the catastrophe because how many coaches we had in Calgary? You know, first-timers, three or four of them. And it's very difficult. It's not as difficult if you have support. And you need somebody that can bring a team together that can train your coaches and teach them how to be better coaches. I mean, you talk to the likes of Steve Kerr and, you know, his, and listen to his philosophy and then compare it to, to um, Pete Carroll and Phil Jackson and look at there's certain consistencies about the way they approach the culture. Cause the X's and O's, most fans understand them. Most fans could probably coach the power play, but what's the difference between a winner and a loser that man or woman knows how to build a culture of winning. And that's going to be foundational. I don't know where you found it within the, um, you know, because the guys who've done it well, I think Julian Brisbane, you asked a question, very bright guy. He and I share um, all the time. We're sharing reading lists of what we're reading recently. Great book. He suggested to me that uh, called turn the ship around recently. Phenomenal book about a USS um, submarine captain that turned the worst performing US nuclear submarine into a champion in that context. Um, I think Kyle Dubas, because of the people he surrounds him with, very articulate, very bright guy, gets back to you very quickly, very professional. I think Jim Ruther has always been a, a little bit, you know, he's won, he's looked at different things, he's tried different things, older, but still very innovative. So I think it's like trying to figure out who the innovative players out there and seeing if you can wrestle them away by creating for them no different than you would with the players, a challenge and opportunity that looks like it's going to be transformative. This ownership group or this management team really gets it. I think I can buy into where they're going. And if where they're going is to hire somebody else who's been fired on two separate occasions and started as a general manager 25 years ago, I just don't see them being able to, you know, deal with the demons that Canadian hockey teams have to face. And you have to face that reality because one problem I always tell my clients I can't solve for them is the one they don't tell me about. If you come in believing this is going to be easier than it is, you're in deep, deep quicksand right out of the gate. This is a big problem for Calgary. It's not so big a problem for Edmonton, Toronto today. It's a big problem in Montreal. Less of a problem in Vancouver because they've got a little bit of a, a decent core there. Winnipeg, interesting. Now you've got to start looking like Tyler Bertuzzi is one of our clients. Now, you really got to understand, and I don't believe there's very many NHL teams in the National Hockey League that might be buying for her services that even understand this. Tyler would rather go to Calgary or Winnipeg than New York or L.A. Why? Why? He's a Northern, yeah. he's a Northern Ontario boy. Loves to SUV. His biggest complaint this year was the weather was too warm to go ice fishing in, <laughs> in Detroit. Which, so there are people, there are players out there that actually yeah. would say, like, I think I don't know Tyler's ultimate decision because my partner, um, Todd Reynolds, takes care of that. But ultimately, I think Tyler Bertuzzi would be very engaged to go to Winnipeg. There might be more ice fishing within uh, the 10 square meters of his home than there is any place on the planet. So mm-hmm. 
you just have to find those players that can fall for what you have to offer too. And that's a challenge if you don't get out there and spend a lot of time with agents understanding, you know, uh, you, you, you think of uh, well, Phil Jackson and uh, all of those guys, they know more about their players and players around the league than most of those players' parents know. And that's why they can build. Bill Jell Belichick has more intel on other players around the National Football League than any other coach in the National Football League. That's how he's able to maintain a winning culture because he knows how problematic that player is, how likely or unlikely he is to upset the culture that they built. The New England Patriots didn't have the best team on many occasions when they won it. Uh, a, a, a Super Bowl, but they had the best culture. Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, you are the smartest person in this room, so you should probably leave, as you suggested earlier. <laughs> we we are uh, short on time. Thank you, my friend. As always, I always appreciate your insights. I know our our listeners do too. Thanks for sharing them. And uh, you know, the common thread that I take from all of it is you talk about how maybe Toronto, maybe Edmonton are not in the same category as the other Canadian teams, and maybe Vancouver because they've got a good core. The answer, the common thread in all those is that at some point they decided to take a deep dive and rebuild and got that superstar player or two or core that they can build upon, and that's attractive to people uh, who want to play with the McDavid's, the Matthews, uh, the Elias Pettersons. Uh, so those, that's, that's one of the common threads. But that's a discussion for a whole other day in Calgary because we got to find a GM first who might want to entertain the possibility of a rebuild or a retool. So thanks for your time, my friend. Uh, let's do this again soon. Thanks. Say hi to Mike Feuda for me. I will. Okay. Thanks. There he is. Rich Winter, uh, fascinating agent. Always love talking to him. He's all about innovation and he's all about uh, thinking outside the box. And that's why it's always great to have him on the show to talk about uh, the fact that in large part, this league is does not do that. And uh, boy, would it be great if the Calgary Flames could find someone who does think outside the box and who could help affect change because there's the, the mountain in front of them is very, very large as Rich did a very good job outlining. Okay, he was brought to us by the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Hotline, a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. We're going to take a break. And we're going to come back with Mike Fuda. Uh, we have a whole bunch of things to talk about with him, including the officiating. God, I hate talking about officiating, but we have to delve into it a little bit. The Eric Francis Show is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. We'll be right back with Mike Fuda. This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, second half of the show is underway. Thanks for joining us. My article on uh, the flame of silence just got published on sportsnet.ca if you're at all interested in taking a look at it. I basically, uh, I like that the Calgary Flames uh, have not brought Daryl Sutter out to talk to the media. It uh, either, I think we all thought they were paying lip service to the idea that the coach's future was being reviewed, evaluated. Um, I think the longer they go without endorsing Sutter is is probably for the better because I think that whoever comes in to be the next GM should have a say in who the head coach is going to be. At least get their input on whether they think it's a good idea or not. 
and uh, to 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 announce that the coach is coming back before they announce a GM would be wrong to me. And uh, I, I think it's just a good sign that we haven't seen him lately because uh, the GM will have designs on what he wants to do with this team, and that will or will not include Sutter and not have it being thrust upon him. Okay, uh, some tiny bit of NHL news with a Calgary angle. Matthew Kachuk fined $5,000 for cross-checking at the end of the first period in the game uh, yesterday. Interestingly, it had nothing to do with the uh, skirmish with uh, Linus Allmark. It was with Garnet Hathaway, his former teammate here in Calgary. Uh, as we know with Matthew, as soon as you're on the other side, you're on the other side and you become public enemy or you become an enemy and he's not afraid to cross-check you. Uh, and I love seeing Matthew's antics um, with Allmark, with Hathaway. Uh, it's refreshing. It's kind of, it puts a smile on my face, reminds me of some some fun times here in Calgary when he would stir it up and make life very interesting during, before, and after games uh, with the Calgary Flames. Okay, our next guest, Mike Fuda. He's a Sportsnet analyst, was a law, uh, assistant general manager with the LA Kings, uh, has done so much in the world of hockey, uh, won a Calder Cup uh, with the Kings, um, and his uh, experience in the hockey world goes way back to even Owen Sound, where he was one of the people who discovered a young man named Mark Giordano. Uh, it would be unfair of me to ask him questions about the job opening here in Calgary as assistant GM. I think he'd be, uh, he's obviously a very strong candidate for the pot, for the job, uh, but I don't think it would serve him uh, well to, 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 to do an open audition for that on the public radio. Uh, so we're not going to do that, but I will open by inviting or welcoming him to the show, but also saying you do have a lot of connections with Calgary too, right? This, this organization, uh, you know, and you have, have a lot of ties. Well, I appreciate it, Eric, um, for the kind words. And uh, yes, so I mean, it's it's been a, it's been an interesting year. I mean, I'm really close friends with Brad Treloving. Um, I have the utmost respect for him. Well, firstly, as a person, he's a wonderful guy, as you would know. But in uh, the job he did, I mean, his passion. We became close friends when I was assistant GM in Los Angeles, and he was assistant GM in Phoenix, and we used to have to organize rookie games and, and became tight. And I know how passionate he is about the city of Calgary and what a from just what an incredible job he did. And, uh, you know, there's some unfinished business there. I, I think one of the things from a general manager you always want is uh, when there's there's voids to be filled, you get out there and proactively fill them. And I think he's, over the last few years especially, he's done an exceptional job. And, you know, Brian Burke used to use the comment, uh, you know, he'll be out of job for as long as he wants to be. And I think sometimes that's lip service, but not with Brad Trelling. I think there's some... He would love to finish the job in Calgary and wherever he lines up soon, he's going to be an exceptional general manager. And, and as well, I've had the fortune and privilege of working with Daryl and winning a couple Stanley Cups with Daryl. So uh, hopefully moving forward, whoever's in the chair can uh, get things back on track because Calgary is an incredible hockey city and, uh, and deserves a little better than the results that were poured out this year. Well said. Well said. You know, one, one of the things that we just spoke to Rich Winter about was about the obstacles facing Canadian teams. Uh, in particular, a smaller market Canadian team like Calgary, where you don't have a fancy arena, you don't have a superstar to play with, you don't have nice weather, you don't have tax advantages. There are a lot of things going against it. And, and we just had a, a very uh, depressing kind of conversation about all those challenges facing the Calgary Flames. But do you have any ideas just on, and I'm not talking about you as a potential candidate, I'm just talking about in general as a hockey man, how how can someone break the cycle? How can a city break that cycle where you're facing so many mounting obstacles like that? 
a win. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, that I, it, honestly, it's like it, it's amazing. Things don't come up as often, and I mean, I mean, clearly, I think mean, you see like the new Edmonton rinks and these new buildings, and but if you're not winning, it's a different feel coming to a rink. And when you're winning, all you think about is the sea of red and everything's good in the community. So just be consistent and win. And I mean, it's not as easy said than done, but I, th- I really think that winning changes so much, th- so many dynamics about the way you feel, the way you look at your locker room, the way you look at your teammates. Uh, and I think that's a key to it. And I, th- and I think you can feel that from, you know, the successes that Calgary's had. And I mean, you talk about, um, like, I know a close friend of mine, in 1989, I remember sitting back, Colin Patterson grew up in Rexdale here and was he's kind of like our local hero. And I mean, and just to see that, um, to see that feeling that was going on while they were winning and the dynamic that brings to the community, it's every bit as important as it is in the big smoke Toronto, et cetera. It's, it's that winning feeling. And, uh, and again, uh, it can be done. Um, I, you see how prolific, I mean, some of these Flames teams have been, uh, you go back to the last team that the, the Daryl coach that went to the finals and stuff like that. So it, it can be done. I mean, we we did it in Owen Sound uh, with you know I, I had passed along a team to Dale DeGray that went on to win the OHL championship in a market that was wasn't supposed to succeed. But if you do your work and you find character people that believe in it, I mean, if I talk to Mark Giordano about his time in Calgary, it's just you know he gets shot out of a cannon with his and, and even more recently, uh, Tyre Toffoli, who I you know I. I drafted in Los Angeles. I've known him since minor midget. And there's some funny, some funny Tyler's Polish stories. But I mean, it's incredible that when he talks about Calgary and it being his home for the last couple of years and what he's hoping to be for the, you know, for the for finish his career as a Calgary flame. So again, I think when players are happy and, and, and they're winning, uh, it, it heals a lot of the, uh, the outside, uh, noise as far as buildings and stuff that's going to be coming but i mean again it's it's all about the attitude and and the people that you have in that dressing room that that, that cooks the you know that cooks the meat for the the franchise to succeed we're talking to mike fuda and uh he's a sports analyst been watching obviously all the hockey very closely as many of us have been it's been fantastic uh, drama and parody uh, but before we get into that i want to get back to you, you said you've got a lot of funny stories about tyler Tafoli. Uh, t- tell me about Tyler. I mean, this is a guy who uh, you won a cup with in LA. You've you've got some extensive ties with him. Well, I've I've known Ty for since minor like minor band and minor midget when he was little. There's a funny picture of him and the his junior Canadians as a kid, and then growing up as a Montreal Canadian. And uh, it ties this guy. His dad was a trainer on the team, and just got all those ties. To just it's a great hockey story. And when you go back and look at his team, I mean, everybody was kind of going in. They had a kid that was you know, went first overall uh, in the OHL draft, and Ty was kind of just like the backseat guy. And uh, I mean, I mean, Hyman was on his team, and he was you know the fourth liner. His dad owned the team, and that's the only reason he could play hockey is because his dad owned the team, and that's really turned out well. And then but Ty just scored from everywhere, and it was hilarious. So I mean, I kind of had a little bit of inside trading on him because their big knock him was skating, and we end up taking him in the second round, and he comes down, and he's a little bit. He's one of those kids that wasn't too thrilled about having to take his shirt off all the time in L.A. And uh, and then a couple of years later, I mean, I see him sauntering by with his jersey off like he's a WWE wrestler now that he's got himself an NHL body. And uh, I just remember Junior Dean Lombardi he had some he had some scoring streak going that he had scored like some 23 games in a row or 20. He's about to set an OHL record for consecutive point games. So Dean Lombardi gives me a shout and says, "Shoot, I got to get in there." And he goes, "See our guy." 
So Dean flies up from Los Angeles to see Ty play in Mississauga, and I don't think Ty touched the puck the entire night. I think he was minus five. <laughs> and I th- it came back to literally talking to Dean after. I said, congratulations, Dean. You're the only guy that can shut out, you know, keep Tyler Toffoli off the game sheet. Tyler uh, had a nice. good laugh at that after the game. And then, you know, he comes down <laughs> and just picturing the whole thing, like seeing in 2013 when we went to the White House, and just seeing Ty sitting there watching the guys up with the president because he wasn't a part of the 2012 team uh, with Obama in there. And then the next year for him to win. And uh, it was just one of those great stories about seeing a kid grow up right before your eyes and, and how prominent he was on that 70s line and, and playing with for Daryl with uh, Tanner Pearson, Jeff Carter on that on that line. And it was very fortunate for me to, um, in 2014, my day with the Stanley Cup, uh, and just 2012 was a blur. And I mean, I'd love to tell you, I'll tell you about the column. I have a great column, Paul Patterson story as well with his Stanley Cup. But Ty was there at my party, and uh, as proud as it was, it was one of those moments because he had the cup the day after myself. And it, it, the day never gets old and it never ends, but to be able to hand the cup off to somebody that you've known that long and seen how they've developed from a, you know, a little kid with fur in his chin to a, a prolific score in the national hockey league and see him take his day with his family at the cup was really one of the most proud moments that I could possibly have. It was just a, a great hockey moment. And then to see how he's developed um, into the player that he is and the leader that he is. And, uh, and, and that he's got his little Hollywood starlet there, cat was, he's all married up and it's, it's a great story. <laughs> and uh, if any, if anybody that, that Canadian hockey story starting from, you know, a kid in Peewee to the where he is now. It just, it's, it's one of those stories that just makes you feel great about the game and where, and, and especially for someone like Ty, how good he is. And he's actually yeah. his birthday today. So happy, happy 31st birthday, Ty. Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, Patterson, uh, he, you, you mentioned he's a local <laughs> legend where you grew up. He's a local legend here in Calgary. As you are aware, I had dinner with him the other night and you suggested to me that, his day with the cup was one of the first days with the cup ever. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Cause you were part of it. Yeah. Well, it, it was the first day with the cup because he had some idea in his one. And uh, we call him babe here, but he's patter. I guess he's patter everywhere else, but babe, um, his fault. Well, his, his older brother, Casey is, was one of the best athletes in the history of Rexdale. And he, babe was just babe to Casey. So anyways, but patter works much better for everybody. But, uh, he decided to call the, and say, "Hey, what do you think you could, you know, bring the Stanley Cup by my house?" Like, and I the story I guess it was like a Chevy Chevette or whatever. The guy with the white gloves filler just drove it to his place on Barhead, and at that time none of us had cell phones, so Babe was basically just, you know, door to door and rotary dial cell phone trying to get people to come over because nobody knew that it was actually showing up. So. Yeah, he just had it in his backyard and it turned into an event where they said, this is a pretty cool idea. Why can't I get it? And it turned out that was the initial home visit of the Stanley Cup, which has now become part of the incredible history of the game and the franchise that goes with it. And then dialer back to 2014, uh, my second day with the Cup, and I hadn't told Colin that, but I had this massive party bus that I couldn't afford and should in retrospect never should have got but you're not thinking about how much money you're going to spend on that day so i just loaded all my buddies on and calling it flown in for my day and uh i just decided to veer the bus off and take it back into rexdale and and we wheeled up to one of our local establishments and then we took it by my house in gladsmore and Clearly, the demographics have changed in Rexdale since we lived there, but we <laughs> unloaded the Stanley Cup on my driveway and took a quick shot and then ran it back into the bus and then 
wheeled over to Barhead and unloaded it onto Colin's house. And he went up and knocked on the door after the shock at the, we almost got shot when I went in the driveway at my place and Colin went up and knocked on the door and informed the people that, you know, we're not, this isn't a house raid. We're just, uh, this is where my parents lived. And this was the first Stanley cup party was, and we unloaded the cup and took a, a beautiful photo on top of the on the driveway where Colin was, so it was uh, one of those throwback cool. meetings, and uh, it's amazing. Cause you, and then you go back to just thinking that team and how they won and what they won. We, we used to say uh, Gilmore to Mullen over to number eleven. <laughs> that was, we always had to keep Colin uh. grounded. Like, how did he ever end up on that line? But he's a wonderful human being. He's obviously passionate about. I mean, he and Lenny McDonald. You know, that whole team seems like they stuck around they liked it so much so mm-hmm. as far as selling the city of calgary as champions those guys would probably be the ideal guys to look at and how much pride they have in being a flames a member of the flames as a, we had the pleasure of robin regeer was on our second cup team and when they talk about calgary it's was just magic in their eyes so it's pretty cool stuff i was uh watching kids hockey on the weekend with robin our kids play together and uh, <laughs> yes he does love calgary and uh, has been a great ambassador as well okay we're talking to mike fuda by the way uh flame or sports analyst you mentioned the white house i have to say one of the most bizarre uh fascinating nights of my life was i had been invited to a to the prime minister's house uh while i was going to university in ottawa and uh anyway long story that i'll probably tell on the air at some point in time but you never forget a night like that tell me about going to the white house what what were some of your takeaways from being there Again, numbing. Uh, it was Obama, too, and I'm not a big political guy, but uh, he's just got a presence about himself. That's and his, right. You know, he's the one thing he can speak, and he was very pro-Chicago and leaning into us about having beaten his Hawks. And <laughs> and again, he comes around, he shakes everybody's hand, and it's the it's Obama. I mean, it's it was just an incredible experience. And I remember in Lombardi was a big uh, – he always used to try and get me to do things to Gary Bettman to piss him off, pardon my, and I, the last thing in the world I need to do is take off the commissioner of the national hockey. <laughs> yeah. he, he wouldn't know me the hell, but for some reason that day, um, Gary showed up at the white house wearing ski boots. Like he had like these massive, like a totally normal suit, but like a pair of boots on that looked like ski boots and everybody else is in dress shoes. And Dean's like, you, you got to just get on him about his attire. So and I go, I'm not saying anything to Gary Bepp. And he's like, I'll give you a hundred bucks. If you go, just chew him up about his shoes. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm in. <laughs> so I went over and started lighting Gary up about his ski boots on in the White House just before he was about to meet Obama. So got me a hundred nice. bucks, but that was just, I think everybody just in general, just the being there. And then you go up and take your picture and Daryl, <laughs> Daryl, Daryl handed him a silver hockey stick and stuff. And Daryl, even through the handing off, he still had that Daryl look on his face. That wasn't, <laughs> I, I know he was happy, but somewhere inside there, he was happy, but it was it was a very proud moment, anyways. But it, it, that being said, that group of guys, uh, the timing of it uh, coming through at that time, I think the boys the boys had a little bit of a late night, and I think we got thumped the next day after the president visit. But it was certainly uh, both were exceptionally memorable, and even the pictures to look back on are quite quite humbling, actually, when you think about it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, we don't have much time left, but let's get to the game today. The officiating on the weekend. This is what everybody's talking about. It, I hate talking about officiating. I know it always sounds like sour grapes, but obviously there've been some calls that we all can see uh, were wrong. And so, do you think too much is being made about this, or 
or or is this should this be the talking point from you know the early part of the first round it's been it's been a little frustrating to watch because i mean obviously they're the best the best of the best and it's a tough game it's a fast game and there's so many calls now that are reviewable that you know you're going to go back and look at tape and get them right but I, I just, just, just the consistency a little bit has got to pick up. I mean, I mean, I watched, you can only watch so much, man, at Sportsnet, whatever, we got our 12 screens up and you can catch a little bit of everything. But when you're when on, on one big screen and flicking around, but I just couldn't, like, like for example, last night, I couldn't fathom uh, the Felino penalties. Like, I thought both of them were real good hockey plays mm-hmm. and uh, and they ended up having a huge part of the game. But I, I don't see there's a, I don't see, think this, this belief, like, I mean, in Toronto that, the, you know, everybody's out to, maliciously take the Leafs down, you know, through officiating because they're against them. I don't think there's anything against a particular team. I think just think in general, it's got to be a little bit more steady and steady and consistent with the calls because if players don't know what's happening and it clearly, there's a lot more scrums and fights in this year's than I've remembered in the past. And you've got to kind of keep things tempered and, and, and the emotional side of it because you don't want calls to decide a game. And then there's others that you look at the review, like I'm still trying to figure out, you know, seemed to me like it was pretty obvious that the puck hit Velarde's stick in the Edmonton game, which was a strange one. Uh, but you just got to play through it. I mean, as I said, you don't want to be talking about officials, but unfortunately there's been some calls that have been left a little bit left to be desired. I know internally they do a lot of critiquing it. Very seldom they're going to come out and publicly say, hey, we got to be better. I know internally there's a ton of meetings where these guys are evaluating and uh, it's a tough job. And again, with the stakes on the line, it's just something that they just got to get like the players. You guys got to bring your A game. And But I, I'm not a proponent of this thing that they're out to get Canadian teams or X or Y, like this, this, the conspiracy theories. But in general, you just like to see a little bit more consistency with the calls. Yeah. I mean, I, I think people who I have no time for anyone, I don't care if it's kids hockey, <clears throat> sorry, or the NHL. To suggest that a ref really does have it in for somebody, I just is delusional at best. And yeah, uh, like the whole the whole stuff they're talking about Macaulay and Keith and that crap. That's yeah, just crap. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. Macaulay's an outstanding official in all rights, and that's just it's out there. It's just yeah. way out there. Hey, I got to tell is. you that champ commercial you have going on before you come on. Oh yeah, is that Bob Stoffer? I don't. Stoffer isn't <laughs> the original champ, but maybe it is. You, now you got me thinking. Oh, I started listening to that, and I go, "Oh my God, Stoff is working for the, he's the champ." You're hilarious. Yeah, he's it's he's the new champ. I'll look into that. I'll get back to you on that one, Mike. That's I appreciate funny. it. That's funny. Listen, thanks for your time, my friend. Uh, I will. Uh, we will be in touch, and uh, certainly have you on again with some more stories. And uh, and good luck. Uh, like I said, I you are on everybody's list as a potential hire for the Calgary Flames as their general manager. And, uh, and I appreciate your time because uh, I know you're a wanted man as an analyst and also as a potential uh, candidate. So thank you for, uh, for chatting with us today. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it very much. Look forward to chatting with you soon. Okay, you too, my man. There he is, Mike Fuda, uh, sports analyst. Okay, that wraps up the Eric Francis Show. It's brought to you, of course, by Horse Racing Alberta, as it has been for years. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has a $312 million positive impact in Alberta annually. Visit thehorses.com. 18 plus please play responsibly we'll be back again next monday with the eric francis show thanks for listening and make sure you stay tuned for logan gordon